Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief. With Marks and Spencer. On News Talk. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk 087-1400-106 is our WhatsApp number. Our email address is afternoon at newstalk.com or you can follow us on Twitter. It is time for Movies and Booze. We are joined in the studio by Gene Smollin, Fanilla Jones and Boss Gags fan Brian Lloyd. Hey! hey. hey. Little uh, shuffle, baby. Just yeah. been down. Uh, just been down in the record shop. Uh, um, channeling your inner old bloke. Yes, very really. much so, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, for which I salute you. Thank you. A great deal. Uh, the two movies... Uh, this week are they are both these movies based on true stories yeah 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 and they are cheery stuff let me tell I know, you yeah but you know and I was talking to somebody about this earlier on that like you know there's a kind of a category of movie where you almost kind of it's eat your vegetables movie you know it's going to be searing you know it's going mm. to be well made but at the same time you go I, did I need to see that? Do I no, need to I know mean, how horrible the world is? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, in the case of like The Zone of Interest which yeah. is the first one it's very much one of those movies that you will watch it once it will stay with you for weeks, if not months. You will never, ever watch it again. Mm. In the case of The Iron Claw, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but like at the end of it, I was bawling, crying, and I called my brother right afterwards, and I was like, look, listen, you got to go see this film, and I'm sorry I don't keep in contact with you enough. Like, it's that... <laughs> no, genuinely, no. Because it's, it's about brothers. It's and, about yes, brothers, it, yeah, yeah. And like the final scene in it is Zac Efron bawling his eyes out watching his kids playing. And if you know the story of the Von Erichs, you know what happens. But he turns to his kids, and they're like, why are you crying, why are you crying? And he says... You know, I used to be a brother and I'm not a brother anymore. And I guess I'm sad about that. And you're just like, <gasps> and it just, it, it really, really got me. Like, because like Zac Efron's performance in it throughout the entire film is so layered and nuanced. And, you know, even though he's playing this big, gigantic brick shithouse of an actor, or sorry, of a wrestler, he really does imbue it with this like vulnerability that's just so disarming and so kind of like human, you know? Yeah. Okay, yeah. and he did really bulk up for this. Oh yeah, he? oh yeah. yeah, he is like built like a tank in this. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So, and in the photographs, his hair looks totally. But fake. that, but that was the way that Kevin Von Erich had it. Like it's that sort of sort of. It almost looks like a 15th century Bowen Bowen archer kind of manner. Yeah, so I don't yeah. know what it is, but yeah, that's the way it's, they had the hair. Back then. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it is. Uh, so I mean, I, uh, today is the year of the dragon, as no doubt you uh, uh, started the year of the dragon. It's but still, we're we're yeah. celebrating we're, a New we're, Zealand. Well, it's also Waitangi Day, which was the sixth of February. Yeah. And that's their national day, the day in 1850 that the treaty was signed between the Maori and the colonists. So I thought we'd have a look at uh, New Zealand wines in honour of that. Right, okay. Did that all go well, signing that treaty? Yeah. Was it like, think they were sign this or else? Yeah. And actually, I remember I was in Pahia about 20, 21 years ago, uh, which is on North Island, which is near Waitangi. And we saw all the Maoris, you know, training in their canoe things. And you weren't allowed, you know, they, you weren't like, you know, foreigners were not welcome, let's say. It's yeah. a very, very much. Uh, but it's, it's it's amazing. The whole Maori culture is incredible. And, um, you know, I was really lucky to be up and, and see even, you know, the, all these out in the long boats. And it was fabulous. But yeah, it's a very, very strong culture. They're lovely, lovely people. And I've been to quite a few of the museums over there because I've been to New Zealand a couple of times, uh, lucky enough through the wine business. Um, amazing country and they're amazing people so anyway it's their national day okay it's their national day uh, uh, hopefully everyone's happy about that uh, and uh, uh, there's going to be uh, they're going to add casting now explain why ca- you should get an Oscar for casting yeah best for just casting. giving somebody a job I'll give Brad Pitt a call well, there you I go mean, there's an Oscar that's a simplified way of looking at things yes of course it is I'm you... a radio presenter <laughs> 
how often have you seen a film and you're like, oh my, that's an absolutely inspired casting. You look at, I don't know, like Austin Butler's Elvis recently. So this category has long been fought for by casting directors. It's going to be recognised at the 2026 Oscars, so not this year. No idea if it's going to be in the actual televised ceremony, but um, casting directors are very happy about it. They said casting uh, directors play an essential role in filmmaking and as the Academy evolves, we are proud to add casting to the disciplines that we recognise and celebrate. Because, you know, there are a lot of areas that have long been kind of backing for categories like stunt acting is another one that I think we could be mm-hmm. it could okay. be seen to be brought in in the next few years voice acting as well I would say again it's a matter of time it's the first time they've actually introduced a new award in more than 20 years but just to give another example Christopher Nolan was giving an interview this week with Stephen Colbert it's actually a very endearing interview he comes he, like he's just talking about how much he loves like the Fast and the Furious franchise like he just comes across as like very bloke core <laughs> yeah, I appreciated yeah. it but he talked about the fact how, I mean, uh, Robert Downey Jr. being cast as Iron Man was potentially one of the most important casting decisions. It had this total ripple effect of, like, that kickstarted, re-kickstarted his career in some ways, kickstarted the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and kind of nearly led him to this role in Oppenheimer that he's probably going to win an Oscar for. You know what I mean? It's mm. the, someone, that casting director, saw it in him. And again, people, I can already see texters now being like, Iron Man's not exactly a revolutionary role or whatever else, but in some ways it kind of was. I you know, know what yeah, I mean? but he, Downey, like, Downey brought an intelligence oh, yeah. to us. He's one that, of the best parts of yeah. that. Oh, you, can, yeah. you can't imagine anyone else's Iron Man now. Yeah. And like, yeah. first Iron Man movie... Solid. Absolutely yeah, solid. Yeah. And like considering Tom Cruise was in the running at one point. Oh my god. Could you imagine sick. it? Like that's no. yeah, Tom Cruise was supposed to play Tony Stark. And apparently, like Marvel could well not Marvel, I think it was Paramount or whoever the original studio was that was doing Iron Man, couldn't meet his quote. But they had Robert Downey yeah. Jr. and look, let's not kid ourselves, he was in a bad way. He was coming out of a bad time mm. and he was cheap. And he was like, Look, I'm ready to do this. And of course he turned it into basically one of the defining roles of his career. Yeah. So Okay, fair. Though I would imagine casting in many circumstances is who can we get? Well, rather than it's an inspired choice. Who do choice. they look yeah. like, I suppose, if they're a significant character it's a significant or a real life person. Like, I mean, we were talking about the holdovers before we came on air. Like that kid that was in the holdovers, Dominic Sessa, that was his first role. Yeah. So yeah. like, there's an example of like an open casting call. He came in, the casting director was like, hey, look, listen, Alexander Payne, you need to see this kid. He's brilliant. And he sees him and, and then it becomes, you know, one of a, a great performance next to people like Paul Giamatti and Devine Joy Randolph. He, that kid was able to hold his own against them and in fact added to it. So, yeah. Yeah. You up the yeah, I, 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 Well, no, I can, I can totally see that point, but they, they uh, to, to award the casting Oscar, wouldn't you have to know the process by which it happened, by which the casting, by which I mean is if it's already a big name, if you have Brad Pitt in a film, are you going to give the casting director an Oscar for that? Well, okay, put it this way. Would you see, let's just say hypothetically, it was some kind of role um, I don't know. Brad Pitt playing Jerry Adams. Guy. Yeah, Jerry Adams. Right. Yeah. Like, okay. Could you imagine? <laughs> I want to see that. So let's say. So let's say. Jerry, so let's say Brad Pitt absolutely knocks it out of the park as yeah. Jerry Adams, and everyone's yeah. like, "Holy Christ! No one ever saw that." The casting director did. So that's why the casting director should get. Uh, okay. Fair enough. So if but that, Jerry, would, would that be the casting director, not the director? Well, it's a combination in the same way that like cinematography, you know, like, yes, there's a, there's a cinematographer who's setting up the shot and is, you know, working with the colorist and working with the actors and all the rest of it. It's a collaborative approach. So 
that area of expertise that they have deserves to be nominated. Like, I will say, I do think stunt actors should have got the mm. bump first before mm. the cast and directors because stunt actors have been long, long overlooked by the Academy and by the wider kind of filmmaking community. And they are far more deserving of acknowledgement than cast and directors. I'm not saying the cast and directors don't deserve their flowers. They absolutely do. But I think stunt, stunt actors and stunt directors and stunt choreographers absolutely deserved it because the work and the actual danger that goes into it and all the rest of it they I think they were way more deserving of it but whatever yeah okay uh, the only time I ever interviewed um, Jerry Adams uh, he told me that he likes to bounce on his trampoline naked uh, with his dog to relax I wonder would that make in, into the film? So Brad I, I think Brad Pitt's Brad playing Pitt. Jerry Adams in this film. This is yeah, <laughs> that's it. It's it. Bare arms bobbing up and yeah, down. Fantastic. Stone Cold hit that one. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I suppose the Super Bowl halftime show—it's a big thing in the US. Usher, Usher. Is I mean, it's a big uh, um, thing for for people who are interested in music as well. I would say yeah. it's one of the biggest performances an artist can ever do, and it is Usher this year. I'm very excited. It's going to be longer than usual. It's usually 13 minutes. He's added on an extra two, so we're going to be getting 15 Ooh. minutes of Usher. I'm very excited. He's just finished a residency in Vegas. Super Bowl is taking place in Vegas. He's promised he's going to roller skate because he actually learned how to roller skate for the Las Vegas residency. Uh, lots of rumours as to who, the, like the potential guest performers. Like he's collaborated previously with Beyonce, Jay-Z, obviously Alicia Keys, Little John. I'd say Little John will be there for yeah, obviously. Gotta be. Yeah. Him and Ludacris maybe. Yeah. Lots of rumours about Justin Bieber as well because Justin Bieber's just come back to like performing and he was a protege at one point for Bieber. I would love that. I'm very excited. I think he's uh, yeah. he's going to nail it. But it, it's more about spectacle than music. 100% because really. it's the whole I mean, thing. you wouldn't see Boz Skaggs doing the halftime <laughs> No, but to be fair, to be fair, have you ever seen the Tiny Desk concert that Usher did? It's incredible. Oh, like he, all right, no, my yeah. God. It's it is so in, good. I think it, there's people of a certain age who are going to be like, who's Usher? Or not, not even who's Usher, but they won't get... If you think back to Confessions... He's been around for a while, Confessions, actually. I'm pretty sure it's Confessions, that album sold 8 million copies. I think it's gone diamond twice. Like, that's Taylor Swift level mm. of... Yeah. numbers and success. He is, he's going to put on a show and I'm extremely excited for it. But him. he actually is a great musician. This is the oh, point yeah. I'm making. And I, I'm not just being yeah, that yeah. at all. Yeah, that, it's, but that, the, the halftime show at Super Bowl. It's all Bowl, spectacle. It, yeah, yeah. It's all spectacle. Yeah. Uh, really. But okay, roller skates. Yeah. Uh, is he known to be good at roller skates? He learned how to do it for the residency and he's roller skating around the place. Singing. Oh, in, in Vegas. Yeah, in part Vegas. Of thing, yeah, yeah. Roller skates. yeah, and he's promised he's going to do it for the Super Bowl. So we'll see. I can't wait. Could he not sing an old song? <laughs> He'll do Just it early on the roller the music, skates. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, roller skating and singing, that's something. Yeah. Uh, Texter says, in, in relation to uh, giving uh, Oscars for stunts, the actors probably don't want to admit which scenes they don't perform. Ah, it's not like that. I mean, like that was in the year of like Harrison Ford where he was all like, I do my own stunts. Yeah. No, plenty of actors are more than willing to kind of say, yeah, there's no way I'm getting a car thrown at me here. Like, yeah. I'd rather somebody to step in and do it. Like, so, no, I don't. I mean, in some cases, in some cases, like I think of Liam Neeson, for example, like I think it was in Taken 3, where one shot of him, one scene of him basically going over a fence. I think there was something like 12 cuts because it was literally like he'd walk up and then there'd be another cut and then another cut. And because they didn't want to show that Liam Neeson is an elderly man and him jumping over a fence. Fence might be difficult. Would yes. be difficult. So they had yeah. to do a lot of judicious cutting. And then normally what they do as well for, again, not to be ageist, but certainly elderly actors, they'll have somebody wearing a white wig jumping over the fence or jumping over the hood of the car. Yeah. And you see the other man running along afterwards. So they do double them, but it's generally for more elderly actors. Oh dear. Yeah. That's even worse then. 
Yeah, kind of is. And that's not stunt necessarily. Well, it is. No, stunt, it is I suppose it is stunt. It but is. maybe there's a subcategory stunt. Stunt double. O- for old people. Yeah. I mean, and Joe then, Biden should have one of them. Oh, <laughs> how long have you been waiting for that? I, just, I could feel like you had that in the chamber. Right? I that was ready to rock. Yeah, yeah, that really was. Right, so what wine are we drinking first, Okay, Dean? we're going to start with the Nautilus Pinot Gris. Uh, 2023 is the vintage. It's twenty three ninety nine. You'll get it in the independent off-licenses. Um, Super Value in Barna, Thomas Murphy in Fox Rock. Um that sort of uh, thing and Wine Online has it as well. Now, I was lucky enough to visit Nautilus and the winemaker is Clive Jones. He's been working there for about 25 years. Um, what I picked was the Pinot Gris because uh, I think that's a, a, you see, a great variety. It's originally French, obviously, from the Alsace region, um, better known as Pinot Grigio in Italy. But actually, um, Pinot Gris is, is is quite a remarkable grape and in New Zealand it performs very, very well. You just stick your nose in there. You're getting very much that peaches and cream character that's coming through on the nose. What what happens is like Italian Pinot Grigio tends to be very neutral because they ferment it at a low temperature to strip all the colour and flavour out and alcohol. But the Kiwis don't like doing that. They like their Pinot Gris to have much more flavour. And so there's a lovely depth to this. Um, you've got a lovely peachy aroma. And then when you try it, you're getting much more weight. There's lovely, lovely kind of um, freshness to this wine, but that lovely what I would call oily texture that just goes with this particular grape. Um, this was uh, 2023 growing season, which started in autumn 2022, was not great. It was a lot of rain. But thankfully, come January 23, the weather changed and they got a lot of sunshine. So it's actually quite a full-bodied vintage. Now, this isn't cheap by any um, manner of means, but it's it's a really good quality premium white from the Marlborough region in New Zealand. I think it's absolutely stunning and I certainly would pay twenty three ninety nine for it. And um, again, you, you, you'll only find it in the independent off-licenses Lovely wine. Mm, yeah, for a Pinot Gris, because Pinot Gris sometimes can be a bit watery. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. This, but that's know, the Italian yeah. Pinot Grigio, because yeah. that's the way, they, the style yeah. they make it. But this has all the characteristics, of that lovely waxiness. That, you, that It's the only way to describe it. It's kind of a lovely kind of, yeah, oily yeah. texture to the wine yeah. that just makes it a beautiful white wine. Absolutely. Uh, and usually, like in... in to give you kind of an insight on what happens in the radio world, because we were sitting in a studio, but every now and again, somebody will creep in uh, to adjust something, uh, a, a microphone usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ashling, a producer, just walked in and I thought, oh my God, someone's off mic or a wire's falling I thought, out. I, th- I thought I was she, in trouble. She just lifted two glasses of wine and walked back out again. And she's oh, a dead right. woman at yeah. my own heart. Yeah. And I yeah. just saw her there own just fart. like taking a little sip in the yeah. middle of the You were talking and she was like, mm. Yeah, yeah, went straight for the peanut grit. That, that's neck now. That's the end of that. Movies and booze on Moncrief with Marks and Spencer. On News Talk. Die herrliche Zeit, die wir gemütlich im gastlichen Hausehaus verlebten, wird immer mit zu unseren schönsten Urlaubsländerungen gehören. Im Osten steht unser Morgen. Vielen Dank für eure nationalsozialistische Gastfreundschaft. That uh, that is zone of interest. Obviously, that clip's in German, uh, and it, 
if you don't speak German, and that's most of us, that, that doesn't really make that much difference. So somebody texted in to say, Zone of Interest is, a, 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 is an amazing but hard watch. Actually, it's an easy watch, but a horrific listen because yeah. the significant thing was those screams you heard yeah. in the background. Yeah. The entire time you're watching the Zone of Interest, it's very, like, it's so it's such a strange film to try and process it because essentially what's going on is is that it's Ernst Rahm who was the first commandant of Auschwitz and it's about the life that he and his family lived there and it, again I, I really have to stress this the house that they lived in was literally right outside Auschwitz in fact the border wall of their big huge garden was Auschwitz mm. and there's loads of scenes in it where you see the the wife uh, Sandra Huller who was in uh, Anatomy of a Fall and she was in Tony Urban she's this great German actress um, she's walking around the garden talking to her uh, her mother and she's saying like oh you know we've got this uh, waterfall over here we've got we planted like kohlrabi over there there's potato over there and it all looks completely normal. And then the camera flips 180 and you can see like literally like the two smokestacks where, where human remains were being pumped out in ashes. And then when it flips back to where you just seen, off in the distance, you can see like this smokestack a tra- uh, from a train coming in and then you hear people being loaded out. All while she's just saying like, yeah, it's really nice, but... You know, like that hasn't that hasn't grown the way I wanted. Like it's it's that film of like the banality of evil. You know, mm, that sort of yeah. way, that Hannah Arendt thing. But this is it in clear, cold daylight. They're going about their business. They have a lovely life. Yeah. Um, later on, uh, the guy Ernest Rom brings his kids out to a nearby river, and he's teaching them how to fish. It's all completely normal and all the rest of it. And then he looks down and sees all this kind of like. Uh, debris in the water and then he looks back and he realises that the entire river is covered in these remains and he's running to get the kids out of the water because he doesn't want them to get dirty then you realise that that was actually human remains that were being dumped into the river Mm. and then there's another scene in it when the wife um, arrives back one day for example and uh, she notices the the father has been told that he's going to have to move to Berlin to take over basically the final solution and she's like crying and like roaring at him like, oh, why Why do we have to leave here? Why do we have to leave here? Talk to them. Talk to Himmler. You know, you, we've done such good work for them. Surely we should be able to stay here. And when she goes back into the house, one of the housemaids has like left this like small puddle of water. And then you kind of see the sort of act of hatred that exists inside of these people. She like drags her to the water and she's like, my husband can turn you into like a pile of salt tomorrow if I feel like it. Mop this up. And then she walks off. And then in the next scene, she's like, you know, chopping potatoes and then trying on this fur coat that, again, we know, was taken, was, you know, taken from somebody who's now probably dead, you know? And it's, I mean, compared to something like, you know, Shoah or Schindler's List, where it's very much... I guess being explicit in how awful everything was in this it's that thing of it's completely normal it's completely normalized they are going about their daily lives in absolutely upper middle class fashion but the entire time you're hearing shots going off you're hearing people screaming you're hearing this crematorium just cranking away and they're all completely immune to it you they, they just don't react to it whatsoever like is there then a, a story arc? Is the story arc involving the family or is it kind of just a snapshot? Of it's the- a snapshot. Like it's, a, it's, it's really just a snapshot of Ernest Rahm's life. And again, it kind of talk, it, it, it's that thing of like, it talks about the sort of the industrialization of genocide, that he was just this, I guess, a functionary in it all. You know, that kind of mm, way that, yeah. 
you never really see him actively killing people. You're like it's a twelve A film. You never like it's it's yeah it's that light on in terms mm. of ratings and stuff like that. There's only one scene, and I say it's a scene. It's basically one shot of him inside the camp, and you just see like it's like a profile shot, and there's smoke all around him, and it's clearly from bodies being burned, and he just kind of looks, stares off into the distance, kind of bored, like any of us would be if we're in our work, where you just kind of zone out for a few minutes, and you're just like, oh yeah, right, okay, gotta get back to work. It, that's literally all you see of inside the camp, and again, it's that thing of because because the 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 horror of it is so unimaginable. We can, we imagine things far worse than the sounds. If you know that, yes, when you hear the sounds, yeah. you know exactly what it is, but you don't see it. But then you see them just being completely normal, and it's just that dissonance is so disturbing that mm. you will be thinking about this film for weeks, if not months afterwards. Does it ever filter into their lives at all? Oh, it does, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> in, in terms of like, you know, the grandmother that comes to visit, there's a scene in it where she wakes up in the middle of the night and she looks out and she can see the fires going in Auschwitz. And then, then the next day she leaves the she leaves the house. But it's never explicitly said yeah. she was horrified by her anything. She just sees it and it's that thing of, she can no longer ignore it, yet the family and everyone else there are more than comfortable sleeping through the night knowing that there's a crematorium burning pretty much 24-7. Gosh. Yeah. It's brilliant. Like, it's absolutely brilliant. And I would encourage people to see it in the cinema because it's one of those things that you need to be locked in a dark room with it to experience it fully. And see it once. You'll never have to see it again. You'll never want to see it again. But it is absolutely worth seeing. Yeah. It, I, well, I haven't seen it, but I was reading mm. about that Steve McQueen has made um, Occupied City, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and it's uh, it's uh, similar buzz, similar buzz, where yeah. it's just pictures of contemporary Amsterdam, while his wife, who's a historian, narrates this is the horrific thing that happened in this yeah. building in Amsterdam. That's the thing, yeah, and like of course, as we know, like Amsterdam was one of the few cities in Europe that wasn't bombed into extinction by the RAF, so it's very much a, still a living city. And like my uh, my sister in law is married to a Dutchman; her kids are all Dutch, and it's still very World War Two and what happened there is still very real for them. I mean, I remember telling the story that um, when they were getting married, um, they went into like the registry office, I think it was, or something like that, because they got married in Italy. In fact, in a vineyard actually, and um, the registrar said, "Oh, you're getting married on I think it was like the Independence Day of like the day that mm. um, victory in Europe." Yeah, that's really important to remember, isn't it? Okay, right, I'm going to sign your marriage license now. And my, uh, my sister-in-law Julie was like. That's a bit odd. That's a bit morbid. But her husband, Yost, was like, no, that's kind of the way it is. Like, they really do remember that day. Like, it's very much a part of their culture and their yeah. identity. Like, so. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. There you go. <clears throat> it sounds like an extraordinary film. I don't know if I want to see it. I, I mean, you know, no, I, I, see, this is it. I, could, I can't recommend, I can't recommend it, but I would say it's worth seeing. But I'm mm. not going to recommend it because it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Like, you'll come out of it and you'll be like, I don't know if I can do anything for the rest of the day. It's that kind of a film. Yeah. Is this up for any Oscars? Or? Yeah, it's up for Best Picture and Best International Feature as well and Best Sound Design. It, if if it doesn't win for Best Sound Design, I would be shocked because this is a film of sound design. And mm. that's why you say you see it in a cinema because you need that entire 360 kind of envelope yeah. to, to really appreciate it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Adam in Ballyvaughan says, See, speaking of Super Bowls, that was my nickname as a kid because I had a big head growing up. So they said my mom cut my hair with a Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, somebody else says, Did you just say Jerry Adams was bouncy naked on a trampoline with his dog? Is the Super Bowl halftime entertainment? It is, absolutely. 
uh, a long negotiation there. Anyway, uh, we'll uh, move on from that to something perhaps a more pleasant film coming our way. Moana 2, when's that arriving? It is coming to cinemas November 27th. So very soon this year. Very exciting. It was originally planned uh, as a TV show. But Disney CEO Bob Iger, he's come out and said that they were impressed with the footage that they had or what had been done so far and said we knew it deserved a theatrical release. I'm not sure if it's as simple as that. I think it's a case of, you know, they've been dumping a lot of things on Disney Plus and not everything has been Mm. translating. And obviously the people and the parents and the children are going to want to see Moana too and it's going to make them a lot of money. Also, just saw before we went on air that Disney Plus or Disney for the exclusive rights of Taylor Swift, the era's tour. So to watch the full thing paid $75 million. So I'm also thinking maybe they just can't afford to have anything on. Yeah. They're trying to recoup some of that cost. Yeah, thanks Taylor. Uh, yeah. uh, is it the same cast? Uh, so they're all still in talks, but it's pretty much confirmed because like, how can you come back with a different cast for a sequel? You know what I mean? Like The Rock yeah. is, yeah. Ro- I, from what I've read, uh, The Rock is in like positive talks. They're nearly there with confirming for him and um, Auli Cravalo, who obviously plays Moana, she's also still in talks, but like pretty much confirmed, but not 100% confirmed. Okay. So. Well, God, they want to get a move on then if it's coming out in May. Yeah, it's very unusual for a film to be announced like in January for it to be released so soon. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Hopefully enjoy they, that, parents. Hopefully they've, got, uh, hopefully they've got some free time. Yeah. Uh, uh, Margot Robbie and Colin Farrell are going to be in a movie together. Yes, this is very exciting. This is from uh, Cole Ganada, who Colin Farrell uh, collaborated with on After Yang 2021. Oh, film. yeah. I think it might yeah. have passed people by with. Uh, it's a very quiet and kind of a film. Yeah, it was about follow the father and daughter, and they're trying to save. The, they have, there's a robotic family member, and they're trying to save uh, that person's life. Uh, the film is called A Big Bold Beautiful Journey, and plot details are kind of under wraps. But the film is described as an imaginative tale of two strangers and the unbelievable journey that connects them. So, yeah, yeah, that doesn't tell us much. Really. Doesn't tell us anything. No, uh, the script is by Seth Reese, who did uh, the menu, and they're scheduled to shoot in California this spring. So. Colin Farrell's busy though because he obviously has uh, there's a well, I actually didn't know about this but there's a private eye drama coming to Apple TV Plus called Sugar that's coming April 5th okay. which I'm intrigued by and then obviously the Batman's been off the TV spin off Penguin which is coming later this year I don't think we have a date for it yet so okay, that's, busy boy. he's a busy boy good for him Movies and Booze on Moncrief with Marks and Spencer on News Talk uh, we'll move on uh, to our second movie uh, of the day. This is the movie about Ernest Rom. Uh, uh, the, the last one was about Rudolf Haas, obviously. Yeah, I uh, a few sorry. people. A few people have been texting in. I apologise. I got my nuts. As in mixed. fact, every text we've got has been about that. Really? Yeah, that's okay. all people care about. Uh, uh, Rudolf Haas. It's was a wrong. first first rule of radio: know your Nazis. <laughs> uh, uh, obviously, we've uh, our, 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 a lot of places. a lot of our listeners. Uh, a lot of our listeners know their Nazis inside out. They are. They are or, you know, uh, they're very they're really bookish on that Nazi, kind of topic. Yeah, they yeah, are, yeah. Uh, cl- uh, cool. Nazi watchers. Uh, on the subject of the Iron Claw, next film, someone says the Iron Claw sounds great, uh, but the main wrestling news this week is that over a decade after his last match, The Rock has returned to the WWE to headline this year's WrestleMania after being paid thirty million to join the board yeah. of directors. TKO group, yeah. That's, that's yeah. why the, the Moana talks are taking so long. He's very busy. I am, Or he's injured. Yeah. Uh, um, or maybe he'll take the job because he's not able to walk uh, <laughs> probably for a lot of them. Anyway, it is uh, the Aaron Claw. Here's the clip. I want to be with my family. You know, be with my brothers. Mm, that's sweet. What do you like to do with your brothers? I don't know. Just being together. We can do anything. Hmm. <laughs> what about you? Well, I want to be a vet. I want kids. I want my own practice. I want a man who's okay with that. 
Cool. So would you be okay with that? Oh, damn right I would. <laughs> we could be one of those modern super couples. <laughs> we could have our own ranch. Everyone could come live with us, all my brothers, their families. Okay. Right, uh, mm. that's uh, the Iron Claw. Just that clip, it sounds kind of almost comical, but I suppose if you're looking at it... It's yeah, good. no, it is, because I would say the Iron Claw, like the first, you know, nearly half of the film, if you like, is almost like the sort of Richard Linklater buddy, almost kind of comedic, but not really comedic. Yeah. It's just very sweet. Like, it's yeah. this really sweet family drama. It's based on the Von Erichs, who are this wrestling dynasty in Texas in the 70s and 80s. Um, Zac Efron plays Kevin Von Erich, who was, you know, training to be a wrestler. He was working for his father's promotion, who's played by Holt McElhaney. People would know him from Mindhunter. Um and, you know, the other brothers, um, David Von Erich, who's played by Harris Dickinson, and then there's Kerry Von Erich, who's played by Jeremy Allen White. At the start of the film, Kerry Von Erich is training to be a shot putter. But then, of course, the Moscow Olympics happens and then there's the boycott. Mm. He can't join the team. So then he gets into wrestling. So eventually all three of them are into wrestling, whereas the younger brother, Mikey, wants to be a musician. But... The first, like I say, the first era of the film, for lack of more or less, is them kind of hanging out, being together, um, you know, training to be wrestlers and all the rest of it. There are these great montages set to like Rush and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where they're like beating the crap out of people. <coughs> and it's all really fun. And in between this... <laughs> no, it is. Like, it's no, a, no, but that's why you went to Freebird Record today. This put, uh, this put all this in your yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, just some blue ice cult, you know? Yeah, yeah. But like, um, come on, like, you know, uh, yeah, they're a great band. But anyways, um, so yeah, so for the first era, it's that kind of a movie. And like, Holt McElhaney's character is kind of you know, pushing them on. It's like, the only way we can survive is to be the strongest, the toughest, the most successful. And it's, you know, it's not like Succession where it's all sort of mind games and he's pitting his his kids mm. against each other. He's very upfront about the fact that, you know, Kerry's my number one. He's going to be an Olympic gold medal. Uh, Kevin, you're number two. David, you're number three. Mikey, you're number four, but you've got to work harder and got to bulk up and all the rest of it. And it's that thing of, you know, because the father came from the depression and all the rest of it, it toughness is just a way of life for them. You know, that's mm. sort of way. The idea of vulnerability, the idea of having any kind of emotions is kind of seen as a as as, as weakness. You know, that sort of way. And there's another scene in it, <clears throat> and it's kind of like I guess the it's the tipping point for the film where. Um, uh, Zach Efron's character uh, basically gets put into a, a title match and he gets suplexed which is basically where he gets thrown on his back but it's onto hard concrete ow yeah, yeah. and he gets the wind completely knocked out of him and yeah. in fact he cracks a rib and he's waiting there for about like nearly like eight seconds trying to get his wind back and climb back into the ring because if you get knocked out of the ring for more than ten you're you're yeah. yeah, yeah, and the father then is like, "Why did it take you so long? You should have got up." Like, you know, that's how they test you. You've got to be stronger. You've got to be stronger. And he can't get there. And this is the thing about the Von Erichs is that they basically underwent the most horrific story imaginable. And I don't want to give anything away, but I mean, I was talking to Richard McCormick from Off the Ball, who's a big wrestling fan, and he was saying that they actually had to take out elements of the real story from this film. Because if they were left in, an audience just wouldn't believe how, how bad it went for them, you know? Oh, God. Yeah, no, it's really bad. Like, there was an entire brother was basically just taken out of the story and what happened to him because they just couldn't put it in because it would be too much. Um, and are these all injuries they sustained in no, the ring or just other 
other other misfortunes. Like, is it, for example, um, the brother uh, David von Erich, he has a ruptured intestine and dies in a hotel room in Japan. Um, the brother Kerry von Erich has a bike, uh, a motorbike accident where he loses his foot, but then manages to get back into the ring. But then eventually suffers from mental health issues, and takes his life. Um, Mikey von Erich um, has a shoulder injury that then results in toxic shock syndrome and then has brain damage from it, then still continues to wrestle, and then he eventually takes his own life. So eventually, yeah, I know it's... Jesus, Brian, you've had a hell of a week I, looking at this and the yeah, sort of interest. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean... Well, I'll give you a hug afterwards. Yeah, My no, God. but this is it. No, yeah. but, like, I, but this is what I'm saying to you. Like, and this is... I, I know this is a terrible film, and I'm saying this. I really loved it because... And this is kind of like what the holdovers had as well, is that it's a very human film. It's yeah. very, very real. I mean, there's one scene in it where they're looking for the body of Mikey and they they spread out on this field. And it I, I it killed me. It absolutely killed me. You can just, it's like this beautiful sun-dappled day and they're looking for a dead body. Like that dichotomy mm. of it, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And then that final scene that I was talking about earlier, it, again, it's this beautiful sun-drenched day and these two kids playing with each other and the, son, the, the father, Zac Efron's character, is bawling his eyes out. Because he realizes that he's not a brother anymore, that mm. all his brothers are dead, that he's the only one left, and that that bond he doesn't have it anymore. And how and like this is the thing about it is that like you know we have a name for you know an orphan, you know a, a child that lost a parent, and we mm. have a name for you know a, a spouse that has died, a widow and a widower, but we don't have a name for the person that loses a sibling. Oh yeah, we don't have a name for that, and yeah. it's a very real pain, and it's a very it's so sharp because it, it, it's right between the ribs because this is a person that you share blood with and, and that you know and grew up with and knows everything, probably knows you better than anyone. And they're gone now. And what does that mean then? What, what is that loss like? You know, it's like losing a part of your soul. And that's really what comes to this film is, is that the idea of brotherhood is, is it's a shared soul, you know, that sort of way. Mm. And the fact that the father as well, like, I mean, and this is another thing the film goes into is the idea of like positive masculinity and toxic masculinity that, you know, toxic masculinity is you've got to be tougher than anybody, everybody else. You've got to be able to take the pain and stand it. And that's very real. Even for men of my generation, I mean, I think about my dad and stuff like that. Like he grew up in the 50s and the 60s where just you would be literally get a box across the jaw for looking at somebody wrong. Mm. And that he didn't know how to process love or or be be open and vulnerable with people you know that sort of way and that's very much what Halt McElhaney's character has to go through as well that he doesn't know how to say son I love you and I'm proud of you no matter what he can't do that because he can only process love for his sons into you know success and achievement in the ring and stuff like that whereas the sons are just trying to protect each other from all of it and then when they start dropping it, they're one by one they're made more and more vulnerable until at the end, Zac Efron's character is left alone and this thing of like the Von Eric curse, he's like, I'm cursed, I've got to get away, get away from everybody. He just like separates himself from the family, separates himself from Lily James and he's really alone with it. And again, the fact that it's, you know, it's wrestling and stuff like that, it's that idea that he's wrestling with the demons himself and there's a great scene in it where he fights this wrestler who people will know, Ric Flair. And Ric Flair is giving this promo to the camera where he's all like, you know, Kevin Von Erich, you're nothing but a man and I know your daddy and your daddy's nothing but a weakling. You're all weakling. And it's this idea of like Ric Flair is this sort of final boss of to toxic masculinity. And when he gets into the ring with him, he just like goes straight for him and really like punches him in the face and 
you know, when he does their signature move, the Iron mm. Claw, he's like literally like gouging his eyes out and he loses the run of himself. And then when he gets pulled out of the ring, he gets disqualified. And his dad is there is like, you just lost control. Like you just showed them everything. Like, you know, you can't control your emotions. Like I, I knew like David was the better wrestler and he then just stops wrestling as a result of it, you know. So it's a really, really powerful film. And like I said, like the end and the, the final scene of I was bawling my eyes out. Like okay. Serena Bellissimo was standing next to me. She had to like, keep handing me tissues. Like, yeah, slapping you, saying, telling you to man up. Well, like, uh, I mean, no, but yeah. really, like, you know, Brian. Yeah, but Sorry, no. That's my Serena impersonation. Yeah, yeah, but no, Serena, no, to be fair to her, she was like, it's okay, get it all out. And I was like, yeah. I was like it was like this, like, just like, like my chest was heaving by the end oh, of it. Like, God. Off. So is it a tragedy, Brian? It is. It's, yeah. It's an opera. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's opera in the grand tradition. I mean, that's the thing that wrestling has always been like it's a heightened form of theatre you know that's yeah, the way yes, like the, yeah. you know like the, the, the storylines that go through it they're practically soap operas you know that sort of way and this is that kind of taken to its logical conclusion that it's a Greek tragedy that's kind of like King Lear and these sons and children that die in a, 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 a sort of a king made of granite the father and all the mm. rest of that no one can reach you know so yeah God, I need a drink now. Come on, Gene. Yeah. yeah. I've got to Pull us out of this. Sorry, yeah. Talk God. about a wine called Ha yeah. Really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> what can I say? Okay. This is the 2021 Ha Ha Pinot Noir. I can't believe it's I called Ha Ha. Seriously, it's called Ha Ha. Ha is actually a Maori. Um, it means ha-ha word. in Maori. No, it means to catch your breath. Oh, does oh, it? Oh, yeah, okay. it does. So, uh, and we certainly did after that. Yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah, I do, I anyway. mean, what a brilliant review of that, that, that film. Um, I now probably will go and see it. That'll be my yeah, third film do, of yeah. the year, yeah. Okay, um, so let's talk about this. This is available in Mitchell & Son, and they have shops in Glass Tool, in CHQ, um, in the IFSE, Avoca in Kilmechanic, and Avoca in Dunboyne. You also get it in the 1601 off-licensing and sale, Art Keen in Waterford, Gibneys in Malahide. You get the drift, independent off-licences. So this is actually one of the fastest growing brands in um, New Zealand at the moment. Um, it's a family-owned winery and the background, the family's background is in fishing and farming and obviously they moved into one. Um, so it's actually three families who own it and their business background as a partnership was all in farming and fishing. They're also 100% sustainable and certified by the Sustainable Wine Growers of New Zealand. So, you know, got a lot of credibility this and they also have the lovely Maori symbols on, on the bottle as well. Montmartre Pinot Noir is a classic style. I mean, Pinot Noir is, as we've said so many times, difficult grape. A couple of places in the world can do it properly. New Zealand is one of them, right? Um, That's all you need to know. But it's a lighter style of red. Um, Tannins are lower. Acids are higher. There's lovely dark um, cherry kind of fruit flavour, vanilla, spice. And again, even the colour, it's it's, it's like, you know, it's a much lighter style of Mm. red. And, And that's very much... Um, in demand now. People are really, really, they, they, they're moving away from the big Cabernet Sauvignon dominant, uh, heavy red wines to the lighter styles. And Pinot obviously hits, uh, hits that bill. Now, again, price-wise, $23.95. We're up, both wines are in the 25 euro bracket. But New Zealand doesn't come cheap. And in fact, of all the countries of origin all over the world, it's probably one of the highest price wines. It gets the, it achieves the highest price for its wine. Such is the demand. Because they just don't, produce enough of it to meet to the, global, the design, demand. Yeah. global demand. But I think there's a lovely wine available in Mitchell's, the Ha Ha Pinot Noir. Um, if you like a lighter style of red, definitely go for this one. Yeah, no, it's lovely. It's lovely, must say. Right, so I think that uh, probably a lot of people particularly are now wondering what Killian Murphy's going to do next. 
you have the answer. He's he's flat out as well, as well as Colin Farrell. Um, it's just been announced he's going to star and produce a film called Steve. It's based on a Max Porter novel called Shy and it's going to be on Netflix. They just got the green light for distributing it. Um, Steve is a reimagining of Porter Shy. It traces the this 24-hour period in the life of... Um, the character whose name is Steve. He's a head teacher and he works at this last chance reform school, uh, but he's struggling with his own mental health. He's kind of spiraling while he's trying to keep these students in line. Um, directed by Tim Melantz, uh, and who's also worked with Killian uh, uh, on Peaky Blinders. And they've worked together on the upcoming adaptation of Claire Keegan's uh, Small Things Like These, which got its world premiere, or gets its world premiere, I should say, at the Berlin Film Festival next week. So. Right. And so, and Killian Murphy's producing now. Producing and starring, yeah. yeah. Ah, so, right, okay. yeah, he's not going to be short of work, whatever happens with the Oscars, but... Or money. Or uh, money, yes. One imagines. Yeah. Uh, that's our lot uh, for uh, today and for this week. Thanks, of course, to Jean Fanula and Brian. Our production team today, John Byrne, Simon Tierney, Michael Quilligan and Ashling Moore. Movies and booze on Moncrief. With Marks and Spencer. On News Talk.